And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauk, an attorney and partner at the law firm of Mauk and Baker. We are Christian attorneys that serve, uh, that focus on serving the body of Messiah with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, nonprofit administration, and defending religious freedom. You will find out more about us by going to maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com or call 312-726-1243. I originally became a lawyer for Jesus 45 years ago when God intervened in my life and showed me I could work as an attorney to advance his kingdom. That was sort of an oxymoron before that Christian attorney, but now I realize we really can't serve God as a lawyer without fully giving ourselves to him. Today, we're going to re-air the first part of an interview I did with Gary Chapman on Moody Radio, another Christian Uh, radio uh, network, where I describe my relationship with God was renewed, how I began practicing law for Jesus, how I acquired Christian partners, and I acquired a vision to serve God in everything that we do. And litigation came our way, opportunities to help churches and heal church splits. I also wrote a book, which you might find interesting, Jesus in the Courtroom, which talks about our wonderful counselor and the Rabbi Jesus being a law professor, because Rabbi Jesus was a teacher of the law. Well, John Malk is our guest, M-A-U-C-K. He received his B.A. from Yale University and his Juris Doctor is J.D. from the University of Chicago Law School. He's a senior partner at Malk and Baker, LLC. He was a board member of the Christian Legal Society for nine years, currently an allied attorney with the Alliance Defending Freedom. He and his wife, Rosemary, have been married for 45 years. That's important information. And our <laughs> featured resource is his book, Jesus in the Courtroom. You can find out more at 5 lovelanguages.com. Now, what got you interested in law? Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, When you were a child, did you want to be a lawyer? Well, I always wanted to be a politician, and I think my family told me I should be a politician, and the idea of being a lawyer was sort of in the background, because if you wanted to be a politician, usually you had to be a lawyer. Yeah, it helped at least, right? Yes. (laughs) Now, when you receive your degree... Did you have a vision at that time, that stage in your life, of how you wanted to use this? No, not really at all, uh, because I I had stopped following the Lord uh, sometime in my college years. I, I, I had drifted away from my from my faith and and uh, my connections to Jesus, and it was kind of like a boomerang as I was going through the rest of law school and my first year of of law practice, I felt emptier and emptier, but I didn't have a vision when I got that degree. It was shortly thereafter I started reading the Bible again 
and watching Christian television and asking questions and praying and, and looking to God. And, and then I reconnected with God. And then, then I had a vision to practice law for God, to serve God in my practice. Uh, John, why do you think uh, so many college students who grew up in the church, who had a genuine faith in Christ, do drift away during the college years? Well, I can, I can answer for myself. It's the love of sin and, and the love of uh, pleasure and sort of a rebellious spirit. Also, in my case, I was not educated in, in the Word. Uh, we went mm-hmm. to church occasionally. My parents were not believers. So I thought of Jesus as Savior, what I was told uh, from my occasional uh, church attendance. But when I got to school, I was assailed mm-hmm. by other opinions and who Jesus was, and I gradually reduced my view of Jesus from being God, Savior, to being a seeker after truth like I was, and then eventually just uh, another another person, a great, maybe a great prophet, but, but uh, he didn't know God either, so we were all... Mm-hmm. All searching, but those those were convenient thoughts to justify my rebellion and 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 sin. But I think if I had been better prepared with apologetics, uh, I, I might have had a tougher time backsliding. Yeah. So what brought you back then? Was it a crisis moment in your life when you you had to cry out to God? It was. It was a desire to know truth. Really, I. Uh, that's why I started reading the scripture. It was an emptiness. The, the boomerang feeling was the pull of the spirit, I believe, uh, pulling me back and saying, do you want to know truth? Uh, intellectually, I said, I, I think I need to read the Bible because I considered myself uh, an educated person going to Yale, University of Chicago. There's, there was pride involved, but certainly a desire to know truth. And I knew all of these intellectual things, but I didn't know the Bible. And I said to myself, well, here's the foundation of our society and a historically important document. And I really don't know much about the Bible. So that gave me, I guess, an excuse or a reason to start reading it. And I I opened to Genesis, started reading page by page, uh, making notes and, and asking the question, who is Jesus? And then watching Christian TV at the same time, that's a dangerous combination, Gary, to, <laughs> to be reading and then, and then, and then listening to uh, various uh, teachers saying, you know, you're a sinner, you need to repent. <laughs> I, I didn't believe that, but, I, but uh, they kept saying it and the word kept uh, getting into my heart. And so well, that's yeah. what brought me back. Yeah. Now, were you still in law school when this happened, or had you finished law school? I had finished. I've been practicing law for about a year and a half. God has a way of getting at us, doesn't he? Oh, he's so wonderfully (laughs) faithful. Yeah, yeah. Now, tell us about your first Christian client and how you responded. Well, actually, that was the day after I recommitted my life to the Lord, and I prayed and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And when he did, it was like meeting an old friend at a, at a high school reunion. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. had that experience of going back and seeing somebody you hadn't seen for many years, but I blurted out, Jesus, it's so good to see you again and to know you. I'm mm-hmm. sorry I've been so far away. And all of the memories and connections in my mind with the things he'd done in my life as a child and, and as a teenager were refreshed. 
And I said, gee, I want to follow you, and I think I've made the right decision, but I'm a skeptical person. I need you to send me somebody to confirm that I can practice law and serve you at the same time. I'm not going to be a pastor or, or, or a priest or something, but what can you do? I, I, I'm going to make it tough for you, God. I need you to send me a client <laughs> tomorrow. And I've been practicing real estate, so uh, send me a real estate client tomorrow uh, so that I know it's from you. Please have it somebody who's engaged in serving you. Hmm. Well, little did I know that God had already answered that prayer. He was causing a man from Leslie, Arkansas, to drive up to Chicago to look for a lawyer. His name was Cecil Schrock. He called me the next day. I said, how did you get my name? He said, I called the Bar Association. I said, I'm not a member of the Bar Association. Hmm. How come you're connected to me now? I'm... I'm been practicing one year in a big firm. You should yeah. uh, picture that. And he said, well, the Bar Association gave me Mr. Askow's name. He wasn't in, so the switchboard operator, this is, <laughs> will date the conversation, uh, said, let me connect you to Mr. Mauk. So he told me about the problem he had. He had homesteaded land in Valdez, Alaska, and had sold it to a developer, and, and Mr. Schrock was holding the mortgage on the property. Developer sold it to another developer in Hawaii who had filed for <laughs> bankruptcy. Oh so my. this was a great case. Uh, I mean, you have to understand how lawyers think. A bankruptcy is not good, but if you have a mortgage, you're going to get paid because you got a first lien on the property. So he had a $600,000 mortgage. And I told him to come in the next day and bring a check and bring his papers. And I understood why he'd, he'd, uh, he'd driven all the way from uh, uh, Leslie, Arkansas, because it was a complex problem. You got bankruptcy, yeah. you got Hawaii, you got uh, foreclosure, you got Alaska. Yeah. And so we took the case. But before I hung up, he said, Mr. Malk, it's important that you get these mortgage payments resumed. Because, and this is an exact quote, I and everything I have belong to Jesus Christ. And my mm. wife and I run a Bible school here in Leslie, Arkansas, where we teach people the word of God. And we need that monthly payment so we can continue our ministry. Mm. Wow. And of course, it knocked me off my seat. But, but, mm. but God was way ahead of us, as he usually <laughs> is, confirming the yes. path that a lawyer can follow Jesus and we need lawyers to follow Jesus. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I hope that case got resolved in his favor. It did. It did. He got his money and he, and he continued to teach the word. That's great. That's great. John, earlier, Chris gave a quote from you that uh, being a lawyer is about serving God. Uh, you say that really your most satisfying moments as an attorney come when you are helping churches so that the gospel can go forth. Explain that a bit. Well, I think God has designed us to work together as a body. And when we are fulfilling our God-given functions and our calling in life, that's when we find true meaning and true life and, and joy. And for all of us, that's how we fit together in the body of Messiah, uh, sometimes as teachers, sometimes as lawyers, sometimes as janitors, sometimes as nurses. And when we f find that right spot that God has for us at this point in our life, 
it's hugely satisfying, and we can just say, thank you, Jesus. Can you give us uh, an illustration of, of how the law and you as an attorney have helped churches? Well, uh, there, there's so many, and I, I started out just trying to say, well, I want to try and be honest and, and helpful and uh, follow the, the rules of ethics and uh, do a good legal job. But as I progressed in my career, I began to see that it's not just law, it's the spiritual dimension of law and people. Uh, that are involved. So I began to uh, help churches when uh, that came out of my real estate practice, uh, churches who had zoning problems, who mm-hmm. wanted to build a new church or buy a former uh, jewel grocery store and convert it into a church building or uh, open a homeless shelter. And uh, representing churches in these zoning cases because the communities were saying, well, we don't want any more churches. We have enough churches in our town. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there were racial or ethnic overtones or, or uh, anti-fundamentalist or anti-Pentecostal attitudes, but uh, people weren't expressing them. They were just saying, oh, too much traffic and so forth. And they were turning these churches down, particularly the fast-growing ones, the African-American ones, the, the Korean ones with the waves of Korean immigration that we had, and Hispanic ones. And uh, uh, I would fight for them and often lose and we had some what what I thought were really bad court decisions, so we adopted uh, a plan to get a federal law together and put together a federal law with the help of other believers and and some non-believers to protect the religious land use rights of churches. Hmm. And eventually, we got we got the law drafted, introduced in Congress, and the municipalities organized to stop it, to kill it, and they bottled it up for four years. Hmm. But believers in Chicago, under Pastor Ted Wilkinson, uh, organized prayer meetings after four years at an African-American church, a blue-collar white church in the city, a Hispanic church. And these were fervent prayer meetings by people who were not lawyers. And that's mm. I'm telling this story because I want people to know you don't have to be a lawyer to impact our legal system. But they went over the head of Congress to the creator of the universe, and said, God, we need to get our message out. We need to build our churches. We need to relocate and grow, and we can't do it when we're stymied by this. The law had been bottled up so long, and I I finally called my buddies in uh, Washington that were working on it one month after these three prayer meetings, and they were euphoric. They said, God did a miracle. I said, well, what was the miracle? He said, it passed both houses of Congress in one day unanimously. Hmm. And I was stunned. They were stunned. Really, nobody can, can has ever been able to give me an example of major legislation nationwide affecting thousands of communities, thousands of churches that's been passed in one day unanimously. Hmm. It's just hmm. unheard of. But it was yeah. those prayer meetings by believers, I believe, got the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act approved. It's uh, the full stories in Jesus in the courtroom. It's a fascinating mm. read mm. about the power of God to overrule Congress yeah. and say, you're going to approve this, guys. <laughs> 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 and they did. And that became law. And that has resulted 
and literally thousands of churches being able to open or expand uh, or relocate all across the country. And mm-hmm. the communities were stunned, yes. of course, yeah. that uh, uh, their political machine uh, couldn't, couldn't stop this. But that's the power of God. So I, I can tell you more stories if you want about individual churches that have benefited from that. But uh, that was sort of the fountainhead of the the new uh, religious freedom in in the land use act based on the constitutional freedoms of free exercise of religion well john let's turn to the book uh why why did you write this book jesus in the courtroom i had some insights uh a a few years back gary that uh, began to trouble me because i'd heard maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand sermons or Bible studies about Jesus interacting with the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and Sadducees. All the believers I've talked to have heard similar sermons. That's a standard line. And I began to think about, well, they had a separation of church and state. Were these guys really, I mean, a uh, not a separation of church and state, were these guys really the religious leaders of this day? What about the high priest? What about... Uh, the sacrificial system, that was the religious system. Certainly the Pharisees and Sadducees were religious guys, just like some of our politicians are religious guys today. But were they the religious system? Well, uh, vaguely, but they were really the legal system. They were the high court, the Sanhedrin, and they ran small Sanhedrins throughout Israel. Uh, Any community with 120 families was eligible for a small Sanhedrin. Those are municipal courts. The Sadducees and Pharisees administered Torah, which was the law, and they applied Torah, and they added regulations to Torah, just like our politicians do and our lawyers do. And they taught Torah, and they're called teachers of the law. So they really are a legal system in many ways. And Mm. Jesus is called rabbi. Well, you know, at first thought, most of us think rabbi, well, a synagogue leader. But we read the scriptures, we know he didn't have a synagogue. Rabbi didn't mean the same as it does today. Not a synagogue leader, but it means teacher in that context and teacher of the Torah in particular. And since Torah was the the constitution of Israel, uh, Jesus is really functioning as a law professor, explaining how the law works. So that brought me back to a wonderful counselor, Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a son is born, a child is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. And I said, wow, Wonderful Counselor. Well, that could mean lawyer. I went further and found out that the Hebrew word ya'atz can be translated a lawyer, extraordinary lawyer. And Isaiah uses ya'atz in Isaiah 1.1, where he explains uh, God is speaking to Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, you've been corrupt, and, and I will remake you into a, a, a city of justice. I will restore the justice to you and to your ya'atz and your judges. So the context is... In Isaiah, he's clearly using the word yahatz not just as a counselor, but as a lawyer. And there are other scriptural examples in Ezra where the translation counselor doesn't really do the job. And, and so I, I see yeah. that 
probably because our Bible interpreters and translators are religious guys. They see the religious aspect. So it, it took a lawyer to come in and say, well, take another look at this from another angle. And I, I found very wide acceptance, really. And scholars are saying, yeah, you know what? That's, that's right. Jesus is a legal counselor. And, and that's part of his role. Yeah. And that helps us understand our role. Because if we look at Jesus and see what he was doing to influence Israel for the kingdom of God and to bring the good news to Israel through impacting the legal system, we then can shape our lives and ministries and goals more in alignment with who Jesus is. Think biblically rather than impose your American ideas of law, which are similar, yeah. but, uh, but uh, think biblically about what Jesus did and dispute resolutions. Uh, look at him acting as a lawyer with the, with the woman caught in adultery. Um, and I, I go into that in, uh, in her trial and how he defends her. And uh, he's acting as a lawyer. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's constantly acting as a law professor. The other law professors come to him and say, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And what they're really asking is, is it according to Torah? And Jesus explains what Torah teaches from a legal point of view. Is it, is it legal to, to render taxes to Caesar? So he's constantly uh, functioning as a teacher of the law as, as well as a lawyer. Well, John, I'm enjoying our talk today. You make this point, and of course I think most Christians agree, God is concerned about justice. He's a God of justice. Uh, how does that biblical concept align with our own legal system? Well, sometimes it aligns very well, but uh, because we are fallen people, uh, we sometimes misconstrue and sometimes uh, pervert and rebel against God's plan. So uh, God has shown us what is his plan for justice, and I might add mercy, because they're hand in hand that we are to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And so we need to constantly be putting our legal decisions and our legal system uh, up against God's plan and saying, do we fall short? How can we, how can we do better? And this is a, this is a privilege. The law that uh, God gave to Israel, uh, Torah, in many ways, a much different context. Certainly the Ten Commandments are, are quite uh, uh, broadly applicable, but many of the laws that Israel was given uh, concern an agrarian society and a society that did not have a, a distinction between uh, law and faith and, uh, and something two, 3,000 years ago. Uh, but that's our privilege to take the principles that we see in, in God's justice and apply them in our society and understand what true justice is. And then, of course, love mercy, because all the justice in the world doesn't do God's purposes. In fact, God's purposes are that people come to know Jesus. And mm -hmm. Paul said, the law helped me, the good, pure law, thou shalt not covet, helped me to understand how I needed a Savior. So mm -hmm. the function of the law in his day, and I would contend, 
the function of the law in our day is to make good laws so that people can see what's just and look themselves in the mirror, or the Holy Spirit can convict them and will, that I don't uh, I, I don't measure up to that system, or at least their own their own ideas of justice. And then we come to where Paul was. Uh, yeah. Who will who will save me? Because I realize that that I, I don't even live up to this this simple Ten Commandments, and I'm not righteous. And God have mercy. So that's where mercy comes in. Uh, justice yeah. must be linked to mercy because God wants to have mercy on all of us. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think most of us would agree that many of our laws, uh, U.S. laws, uh, nationally and locally, uh, confirm or affirm God's laws. But there are cases where some of our laws conflict with God's laws. Uh, how does the Christian respond in that setting? Yes, we know we need to be diligent and looking because uh, you're right. Uh, sometimes our laws conflict, and that's where the humility comes in that we must walk humbly with God and and realize that well maybe maybe we're not getting it right. But if we're convinced that a law is contrary to God's law, such as killing of unborn children, then we need to say how can we change the law? How can we help? others in government, and when I say that, we're all in government because this uh, nation has been, uh, we've been entrusted with governance. Uh, we are the powers that be that Paul speaks about in, in Romans uh, who are given government to help people. So we need to correct that law, and in some cases, uh, we need to resist that law. Paul uh, resisted the law. John and Peter resisted the law when they were told not to preach in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they said, we don't care. Uh, we're going to follow God. And there's great confusion in the body today uh, about the place of God. And we need to restore uh, for those who don't understand that God is over the U.S., the U.S. laws, the U.S. Constitution. Uh, the story I told earlier about the uh, about the churches praying and over overriding Congress, uh, we need to realize that in the extreme situation, God will have us to defy the laws. And it's not just an American issue. If you think about it a little more easily, if you if you look across the world and see many times there's nations that have very evil laws, believers have... Uh, been willing to die to say, I'm, I'm not going to put a pinch of salt at the base of the emperor. And uh, thank God for those men and women. We are their heirs. And ho hopefully we can be worthy of the commitment to the truth that they showed us by, by their suffering. Can you give us an example, John, of a situation in our country where a Christian might resist the law? Well, we got, we've got one right now before the U.S. Supreme Court, and we really would like people to pray for the Masterpiece Cake Bakers. Uh, they design wedding cakes uh, for all types of weddings, but, but uh, when it came to being asked to design a wedding cake for a gay wedding, they said, no, uh, we don't want to do that. We believe that's wrong, and that's against what God has ordained. Uh, they they said no, and so they ended up with a a big a big fine and saying you're going to be put out of business if you don't do this. 
And they, they said, okay, well, we're not going to just design any more wedding cakes. So they were put out of a major portion of their business and they're being uh, persecuted. Like, likewise, those who've been forced to, to pay for abortion in insurance plans, uh, things like that. But yeah. uh, ho- hopefully, the wedding uh, masterpiece cake baker's case will be decided in f- favor of their rights of conscience because these, uh, these gay folks could go to other places to get their, their cake designed, but they want to force believers to violate their conscience or go to jail or be fined or be put out of business. And there are a number of cases like this. So wedding photographers, uh, floral arrangers uh, who've said, we do not want to honor gay marriage. We think it's destructive to society and to the people involved. And uh, certainly we don't want to, to sin before God. And many of the courts have put them out of business, uh, uh, fined them, and there's, I mean, this is active persecution. Uh, let us pray, and we filed a brief on behalf of Masterpiece uh, Cake Bakers, and there have been 70 other friend of the court briefs filed. It's a big case, and mm. uh, it, it will set the direction for um, many of these types of issues, Gary. Yeah. Now, there are Christians, John, who consider it to be unchristian to sue someone. Uh, can you speak to that as a Christian lawyer? Well, of course. Uh, God has given us the courts to resolve disputes. And I, th- I think uh, Christians who don't think they should ever go to court have probably not fully scripturally informed. The admonition not to go to court is concerning believers when we can go to others who follow the Lord and want to uh, follow Scripture and have our disputes, which we will have, uh, resolved peaceably through mediation or arbitration. That's that's set forth in the Scriptures. But it doesn't say that with non-believers we shouldn't go to court because that is a means of government that we have to resolve our disputes. Certainly, we should make every effort to settle. Uh, on the way to court, Jesus said, uh, uh, settle your case quickly. And I think Jesus' uh, wisdom there is that we often think more highly of ourselves than we should, and we don't see the flaws in our own arguments, and we see the other side uh, having a problem. But if you have gotten wise counsel and you've done everything you can to try to settle— then uh, the courts are there uh, to bring justice, and you, you need to you need to fight for justice and and uh, be willing to submit to the system. And you're not always going to win, and injustice is done because we live in a fallen world. But that doesn't mean we don't use the dispute resolution system of the courts. John, why do you think uh, the legal profession sometimes is so vilified in our culture? Well, uh, you know, Jesus uh, gave us a clue when he said, woe to your lawyers in, in Matthew, uh, because you don't lift a finger to help people. Uh, that's because the lawyers get confused, and, and sometimes our politicians get confused, maybe a lot of times. They put the law and the observance of the law ahead of serving people. They lose the context of the reason for the law. That is, how can we improve our society? How can we help people? Uh, Jesus faced that 
when his disciples were walking through a grain field on a Sabbath. And the other uh, law professors came against Jesus and said, why are your students violating the law? They're picking uh, grain on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus said, you know, you've, you've got your understanding of the law backwards. The law was made for man, not man for the law. So if you understand the purpose of the law and the nature of the lawgiver, which is God who loves humanity and wants to help humanity and blesses us by, the, by having a Sabbath, then you understand that it's okay if you're hungry, you need mm -hmm. some food, you can pick some grains of, of, of wheat growing out in the field. So yeah. uh, this is still the same problem today. People put observance of the law over the purpose of the law, and it's no wonder that some lawyers are considered bad. Of course, uh, there's an adage in the legal profession, everybody hates lawyers except their own lawyer. <laughs> and they, they love their own lawyer. Yes, because he's going to help me. <laughs> what, what I would recommend for people, and, and there's a problem not just with lawyers but with believers. Uh, many of us have a wrong attitude towards the law, and a, a sure antidote to that is to read Psalm 119, which is about God's law, and read it, and I, I recommend that people read it out loud to God uh, mm -hmm. in their prayer time and ask God to give them the right attitude because we need a biblical attitude towards law and a biblical attitude towards lawyers to replace our American attitude towards law and lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you say also that, that the courtroom is often a place of great spiritual battle or spiritual warfare. Flesh that out for us. Well, we'll start with, uh, with Ephesians. The Apostle Paul said our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers in high places. So our, our, our first objective and, and, uh, and struggle as b believers when we're engaged in a legal struggle is with ourselves. That is to determine to love the people who are on the other side. And I don't mean love in the fuzzy way, but to, to pray for their salvation and conduct ourselves in such a way that they will see Jesus in us and, and that they will come to Jesus and, and conduct ourselves in such a way that we can see our own sin and our own, our own need. Uh, that's, that's spiritual warfare in the first instance. In the second instance, realizing that our struggle is against principalities and powers. So, so Satan, demons, uh, spiritual forces are causing people to hate us or to just sue us, uh, maybe, maybe without hate, but to oppose us. And so we need to bind those in prayer. Uh, we need to have others pray for us. And, and actually, in, in the book, Jesus in the Courtroom, I go into probably about a hundred different spiritual resources that the Bible has for us in uh, combining with our legal arguments, uh, uh, gifts of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, attributes of God that we can pray, uh, Psalm 119, 
Uh, we need to see our struggle in spiritual terms and what is God doing in our lives, not just win, not just beat the other side, but how can we accomplish mm. God's purpose? It's asymmetrical warfare. Yeah. John, we were talking in the break about how people can get involved and who can get involved. You've got a list uh, in the book of the different folks that should see this and what we're talking about here today as something that they can participate with. Uh, those who vote, those who employ other people, uh, media, teachers, pastors, medical professionals, social workers. I mean, the list goes on and on. Everybody's listed here in one sense, aren't they? Well, all of our lives intersect, and most of them in many ways, with our children or the children in our society, our own children, our grandchildren, and, and other people's children. And they are special in God's heart. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and don't put any barriers in their way. And we have been prioritizing the rights of adults in many ways over the rights of children. And I go into that uh, in the book, in the areas of, of uh, education, child care, adoption, foster care, abortion, uh, youth employment, uh, youth education. We need, as a body, to come together. This is not just the lawyers who, who need to do this, not just the educators, but pro-lifers, principals, coaches, uh, law enforcement, uh, union leaders, uh, as you say, the list goes on. But if you think about it, uh, these are ways that we can impact. And we can also support the Christian liberty organizations that are on the front lines. And I suggest to people, uh, find one uh, out of the 10 or 12 that we list, go to their website, get their newsletter. When you get their newsletter, uh, pray for them once a month, and p maybe pick out somebody, adopt a lawyer, and mm. pray for him or her uh, because we must fight this battle together and the unity of the body and the body working together will change our society, will protect our children, will we'll bring people to know Jesus. You know, we started out talking about your college years. Uh, of course, we have thousands of college students today, Christian college students on campuses. Often they're facing uh, opposition. Speak a word to that and how, how the student, Christian student, uh, should respond and what we might be able to do to help them. Yeah, they're on front lines, too, in, in many ways, because if they've been well, well taught, uh, they're going to speak out in favor of traditional marriage and talk about how harmful uh, the gay practices can be to people and how destructive. And talk about the love of God and forgiveness of God. And you know what happens. Jesus promised it in the scriptures. He said, you'll have many more brothers and sisters, but you will be persecuted. And they will be persecuted and have been persecuted. They've been shut down. Christian legal society uh, chapters in the law schools have been shut down. Christian speakers are often uh, kept off campus and are own Christian students are intimidated. They're there in the midst of a mission field that's hostile. They need to see themselves as the bearers of the light, and, and many do, and I thank God, God for them. But uh, we're, all, we're all in the battle. We need to support each other. And if they're discriminated against, they can go to Alliance Defending Freedom or Christian Legal Society or Malkin Baker 
and and call us and say we're not being allowed to have our speaker on and we've had that uh, situation often uh, on on campus can you help us and we'll we'll write a letter or we'll file a lawsuit if necessary john this hour's gone by very quickly uh would you just in our closing minute here or so uh just speak to our listeners about uh, their involvement and how we need to work together as Christians, both in the legal world and, and in those who are not involved legally. Uh, just give us a word on what we can do. Well, we, we need to seek God first of all and say, God, show me what my role is so I can fulfill that. And we have to want God to show us, and then he will. And at that point, it may be as prayer, it may be financial support for the, the uh, Christian legal organizations, or it may be involvement in these many areas that involve children. But God has a purpose and plan for everyone. And I'm not saying everyone has to be involved in the legal struggle, but you do need to ask God, where should I be uh, if you want me in the legal struggle? Because the law is uh, permeating our society and legal battles are coming to people in every area and to children and children particularly. So fall in line, uh, find out who can teach you, find out what you be, should be praying for, and enjoy fulfilling what God has created you to be. Well, John, I want to thank you for being here. I think uh most Christians want to do something because they recognize the trend in which we're going in our country. And uh, hopefully this program today will stimulate some of them. And also, I hope many of them will read the book because there there are practical ideas and addresses and websites and things to, where the, to which they can go. So thanks for being with us today, John. Amen. It's a blessing.